Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 328. I'm your host. Uh, I can't think of anything funny. Late. Mike Apps, Victory Royale, number one. And with me as always. King of all cosmos, David McBurney, Family Master. And we have guests today. Yes. And back again occasionally, your manager pen, Michael Baker, Kajima Nogatari. Hooray. And? Yay. Joe Hanley, the uh, Smoke and Joe gamer, Joey Jojo Jr. Shabadoo. Worst name I've ever heard. No, I'm, I mean, we've played a lot of games. I'm sure we could think of worse names. Mm, I don't know. There's, there's something to be said for the dreadfulness of Fate Line God. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and Wheels has already abandoned us, so let's uh, let's just not let's just not wait on him. Uh, it's been weeks since you were in Gaijin. Please tell us what you've been up to. Well, I just uh, randomly looking through my DS collection. I started and finished Espelus, um, which. Uh, being cursed, uh, Lufia, Curse of the Sinistrals. Yep, the Lufia Two remake on the DS. Yes. You set yourself up for unkind comparisons when you make yourself a remake of the most beloved game in a franchise, perhaps the only beloved game. In I was going to say, I was thinking about writing a deep look where my first point is: seriously, their biggest mistake was actually making it a remake. Like making it. Because new... if they had taken the okay. if they had taken the same engine. The same graphics, just change the names and like one or two of the of the major MacGuffins, and just said everything else was a deliberate reference and homage. homage. <laughs> because the game itself makes a point of referencing the eternal cyclical nature of history. Um, everything eternally recurrent. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's the first time the Sinistrals have ever come back, you know? But yeah, by positioning it as specifically a remake of Lufia 2, the only Lufia game people look back on with any real degree of fondness, they kinda Yeah. They kinda set themselves up for the slaughter. Uh, I was actually looking up uh Lufia Ruins Chaser for unrelated reasons. Uh, a few days ago. Yeah, well, yeah, don't even... Yeah. <laughs> well, what, a, what a tragedy. I did yeah. not know... But yeah, so... Um, okay. Honestly, there are some things about the about Lufia DS that I really liked better than the original. Mm -hmm. um, like, the, the Sinistrals, the original game, they're just these very large people with armor, mostly. Mm. The Sinistral battles in Curse of the Sinistrals are something else. <laughs> um, the the I mean yes you, you do fight Gades once or Gades however you want to pronounce it um as in his armored badass form and yeah. but later on you're at the uh, what should be the the big finale mm. or his section for like for the first half of the plot in the original game mm -hmm. the, the thing that looks like it should be the final battle of the actual game it yeah. but it turns out there's more yeah and. I, I posted a video of this to the completed games thread or channel, but they took a lot from 
Knight on Bald Mountain from Fantasia with this. Because <laughs> that's about how big the, <laughs> he looks. <laughs> um, it, it's a battle. Hmm. Um, and the, just um, the major bosses battles in general are big. They require both screens. They require a lot of movement, quite a few attack pattern memorizations. And the, the the way the game is organized and paced, there isn't a lot of in-between material the way the first two games had or stuffed mm -hmm. with. So, um, level grinding is not really an option. Hmm. Or it can be, but you're going to have to go back to very specific areas and just get really bored. So instead, every time you die, you are given the option to fail upwards. All right. Five levels. I love that. By my best estimate, I finished the game at level 76, and about 50 of those levels were failed upward. I mean, that'd be sitting there grinding, I suppose. Yeah. 25 of those levels against Gades. <laughs> so. Hooray! Yeah, yeah, he was, he was a nasty one. Tough boy, tough boy. Yes. But that's the thing, even even with gaining five levels per game over, it's still tough. Mainly because um, most of what you're gaining with level ups is extra health and defense, but your um, most of your offense and a bit of your defense is based on your current equipment. So um, it's still a challenge. No matter how many levels you manage to boost yourself, so, <sighs> which is nice, in a way. Yeah, it's nice that there's still interest to it, even if you bump your levels up a bit. Yeah, I mean grind. I mean, death grinding does make a difference, but it's not the difference you would expect. It just work. I um, mean, it's. It's beneficial, but it doesn't kill the challenge at all. <laughs> so, overall, not, not too bad an experience as far as you're concerned? Oh, no. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of interested in the, the New Game Plus material, just because it has extra plot and stuff, but I'm also hmm. thinking, yeah, I can just look it up online now. Don't, don't so. feel the super compelled to experience it firsthand. Yeah, I mean, it's a 15-hour game. Mm -hmm. Which is significantly shorter than I remember the original being. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember exactly how long the original was because it didn't have an internal clock. But it certainly felt longer than 15 hours. <sighs> and also, it was from the generation of RPGs where... Padded length was seen as a virtue. Mm -hmm. I mean, as I recall, the original Lufia's um, back cover boasted about having a much larger world map than most other games. Yep, Lufia one's bad. <laughs> hey, it's a wheels again. Morning, Fireman. Not no. bad. It's just about two hundred percent more game than it needed to be. <laughs> we, we started late, Fireman, so you have not missed much. You probably missed less than me. Yeah, Wales has been here for approximately 0% of this podcast this far. Sure. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah. Curse of the so, Sinistrals. Um, 
Yep. And right now I'm trying to actually finish up some other stuff I was planning to do for Adventure Corner, maybe. <laughs> if you feel the need. Yeah. But, um... Since I am not necessarily the best at remembering to do stuff, um... But yeah, I figure a deep look for Curse of the Sinistrals at some point, and a couple adventure corners for stuff that I have been working, just randomly playing for the last three months, and I really should just do. I'll be interested in reading those. Yeah. And then what to do with the 9,000 yen in e-store credit that I have on my Switch. <laughs> it was a gift. Yay. Uh, right. I've already spent 5,500 yen of it. We love Katamari. I was tempted, but I'm trying to maximize the number of items I can get, so I've got six items with the 5,500 yen. Mm, fair enough. Which Should is... get We Love Katamari oh. eventually, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I can probably get on cartridge. True enough. Yeah. So honestly, if I can get it on cartridge, I'd try to do that. Yeah, that's fair. I would have done so yeah. as well, but it would have taken I mean, a month to arrive for some ungodly reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's something like Stick of Truth, there was no way I was getting that on a cartridge in Japan. It would have been really funny to get it on a cartridge in Japan. I mean, completely impossible yeah. because, I mean, as I stated in the review, they would have had to completely redefine an entire section of their game's rank rating system mm -hmm. in order to... Oh, yeah, it. but it would have been really funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I have explored some of the danker corners of the Japanese indie game scene, and there's stuff in Stick of Truth that they would not have gone into. <laughs> so. Yes, P, you should rewatch for your tale before the new show comes out. It's time to get that uh, fucking... It's time to get that watermelon game on the Japanese shop that all the streamers are playing. What? Watermelon game? <laughs> it's a 3 game. It's like a fucking puzzle game. I think like fucking 2048 but much more analog uh okay it's like 200 yen <laughs> but they're gonna say something about it okay so, so it sounds like that's most of what you want to divulge about what you've been playing since you, it sounds like you're saving some of the others for an adventure corner in the future <laughs> I mean I've already mentioned the other two to you that points like in july or june even oh okay, um, we, one of these i'm just trying it out on my new laptop to see if that it goes any faster it runs better but no i mean it works about the same and it seems to be running at normal speed it's just that the character's walking speed's kind of slow hmm. That's so. a shame. Okay. yeah uh joe yes I'm Let here. the people know um, what you've been playing. Sure. Um, well, I wanted to stream horror games and other Halloweenish things this month, so I have been playing quite a bit of Disgaea Seven, and it's just it's excellent. Um, I know the last time I t brought it up, I just mentioned a few things that I thought were odd, like there's there's no tower attacks, there's no magic change, but. I did unlock the item world, spent some time in there, and it's like, okay, this is neat, and I've unlocked some more gameplay mechanics that definitely make the game 
more fun. And it's like, okay, yeah. So anything that they took out was replaced by something as good or, or better. So I like it so far. Um, That's normally what they do. Yeah. So then I played the original Resident Evil 2, the GameCube version, and did the Leon A scenario. It took about four hours to beat, and I actually, I, I don't think I died at all, so I think it was pretty good. Nice. Um, and then started the Claire B scenario, but then decided I wanted to move on to something else. Um, and I started the Resident Evil 4 remake, Separate Ways DLC, that's where you play as Ada, and it's, it's a separate kind of story there. So I did a little bit of that, and then... Way, they, if you will. <laughs> yeah, her and Leon, they touched and went their separate ways, and I had oh. a Journey song stuck in my head the entire time I was playing our worst fates <laughs> and uh then uh i went over to mercenaries mode because they added ada and wesker so tried them out a little bit um and learned dreadful new secrets <laughs> yeah learned that wesker's awesome martial arts moves still leave him wide open to a one-hit chainsaw kill attack <laughs> so um, see if you got a clip of that i should go look that up yeah uh, you know Where if you want to make <laughs> that would be really cool because I'm too lazy to go and make clips. But if you could find that, that'd be funny. Sure. Yeah, where could I do that? Oh, on Twitch.tv/smokeandjoegamer. Plug, plug, plug. There. Just want to get that there so in case you end up having to leave earlier. <laughs> yeah, I got a COVID booster today. I'm I'm still going okay. Tomorrow's going to be the tough part, but um, I think I'm good for another hour or so before I pass out. So I think we're good. Um. So, just now I was playing a little more Blasphemous 2. haven't finished that yet. And I did jump on to Little Nightmares again. I'd like to finish that before streaming Little Nightmares 2 later this month. So, we'll see if I can get through that. So, Little Nightmares is a very strange game. Like, it starts off scary, but then it turns into kind of a weird, like, stealth game. But... Um, but there, there's a logical progression to it, because first you meet the guy who captures the children to send them to processing. Then you meet the chefs who cook the children. And now I'm in a place where you see the consumers who eat the children. So it's like, oh, wonderful. It's a really, really fucked up game. As you do. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. And um... I did jump into Alan Wake Remastered. I was looking to clear that before the second game comes out later this month. So, and I really liked Alan Wake when I played it on the Xbox 360. I got the remaster when it came out and barely touched it, although it, it, it looks great. They updated the graphics and everything, but it still has some weird kind of gameplay quirks that don't always gel with me and... But I like that the whole story just kind of feels like a Stephen King novel, you know, and it's like a, you know, he, it's it's like a story within a story, which is neat. He, you know, you find pages of his manuscript, which describe th either things that already happened to you in the game or things that could happen in the future. And it's, it's pretty neat. <laughs> so somehow the book that he, he has writer's block and so far, like, the book that he hasn't written yet is somehow being written and coming to life, and it, it's wild. Yeah. 
that that's always a game I like have positive things to say about, even when it frustrates the hell out of me because of some dated gameplay mechanics and hmm. weird camera behavior. Um, and then I might have talked about this already, but I did get Apple Arcade for a month just to try out that new Ninja Turtles game, um, Splintered Fate. And that's a neat game. That is, it's like Hades with turtles. So you can't what? go wrong. Yeah. Teenage Mutant Hades Turtles. It'll be nice when that comes out on everything else. <laughs> yeah, so it's a roguelike, and each turtle has a slightly different play style. They each have different abilities they can use, but mostly it's similar to Hades. Like, it's mostly just you whack enemies a few times, you dash away, whack and dash, and... It, and then occasionally use some kind of power to move. And then you get, um, at the end of each room, you can choose, you know, uh, some type of bonus for the rest of the run, or you can just get extra scrap to buy items before a boss fight. And it's, uh, it's actually a pretty neat game if you're into roguelikes, and if you like Hades, and if you like Turtles. And if you have an iPhone and want to get Apple Arcade for a month. For $5. Yeah, I think the typical lock-in for those at least one year of exclusivity, so hopefully next May we'll hear something else. <laughs> yeah. I think it would be perfect on Switch, but we'll mm -hmm. see if that happens. The dream. Yep. It's, it, it, realistically, it feels like leaving money on the table if they don't put it on basically everything once the exclusivity uh, runs out. Yeah, but, I agree. Yeah. Uh... Wheels, status report. Okay, let's start with the Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky status report. Nothing. I have finished <laughs> chapter Hunting the Dragon. Hooray! Boss fight against the dragon is pretty cool. Didn't yeah, that's a good to, scene. Did not have to retry it at all. Yeah, mm -hmm. It's a pretty fun fight. Uh, what difficulty are you playing on? Uh, normal. Okay, yeah. I don't, I don't recall the game being super hard, but... It's been a bit. It can be. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where I am with that. Dragon Quest. I just got Sylvando back. Hooray! So, Dear friend Sylvando. Yes. Uh, well, I should say I'm at the part where you get Sylvando back. Uh, I just finished the boss, and now I have to go back to town, and presumably... Story events, and then Silvando will join up. And then yeah, on to yeah. the next character, or whatever. Whatever is next. You're getting your party back, slowly but steadily. Yes, it's good times. Hooray! Um, Making progress. That is the report on both of those. Yeah, more you'll have one more report before you are allowed to take a break and play Spider-Man. Yes. Uh, it's true. That's mostly what I've been playing RPG-wise, other than dipping into anime games like Fairy Tale and Dream Ball Z Kakarot and some Disguise 7, which is quite good. I'm really in enjoying the cast so far and the setting and everything. It's, it's very, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting good. us further and further away from the horror that was Disgaea 5. Calm yourself. Um, uh, but that was, yeah, that's pretty much it. Alright. Uh, uh, didn't had to finish some Destiny 2 stuff last week, but 
it's pretty much on the back, I don't want to say the back burner again, but on just very casual mode. We saw you listed as being playing Destiny 2 before this started. Yes, there was a snafu with my normal raid group, so I had to try and squeeze it in tonight. Gross. Um, That's it for uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> Just to mention something Fireminer asks, uh, has anyone tried the recent Comco game? The answer for that is almost assuredly no. Uh... I, I generally just don't keep track of them. There's too many. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, I, what have I been playing? Uh, I, I, on a whim, picked up We Love Katamari plus, uh, Reroll plus Royal Reverie for Switch. Because I love Katamari. And uh, We Love Katamari is the last good one. And <laughs> it's a good port. It's a good port. Uh, it's it's one of those things like I would always have difficulty saying which is better between the original and We Love Katamari. They complement each other well. Uh, original Katamari Damashi is more like a pure rolling experience. Uh, we Love Katamari has a lot more like silly fun gimmick levels. Uh, the kind of they they ran through basically all the ideas of what you can do with rolling a ball around. Uh, and that was kind of the issue with all of the later ones was that there really was just not a lot of other ideas to do. Uh, but I, I also I like I, I've dabbled a bit in the new content. Like unlike we uh, unlike Katamari Damashi Reroll, this has some levels that I do not recall being in the original version that I believe are the like Royal Reverie content uh, that seems to be. Uh, the King of All Cosmos flashing back to uh, when he was a child being uh, bossed around by his overbearing father. Uh, I, I played a gimmick level of that or two. It, it seemed fine. Like it's, it's decent extra content. Nothing to super complain about. And does not interfere with the core game. So, I mean, yeah, more power to it. It's, it's fun enough. Uh, I'm thoroughly tempted by the uh, DLC pack that is just a bunch of music from all of the games, because even when the games were bad, the music was still usually good. Uh, so, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, uh, play Katamari. That means you, Wheels. Meh. It's a game about rolling. Uh, okay. It is literally a game about rolling. Fine. I'm so in the... Sorry. Uh, yeah, but yeah. So I played... argument to that. God damn it. <laughs> I played that uh, on a whim. I saw that uh, 2013 uh, Grand Theft Auto Knockoff Sleeping Dogs was on sale for uh, three American dollars on Steam. Fuck, I forgot to buy that. It's not still on sale, is it? I'm pretty sure it's on sale until like the 25th. Absolutely. But yeah, it's for it's like three dollars for the definitive edition, uh, and it runs fine on Steam Deck. Uh, I think you have to put it into you have to go into the. It says it's unsupported. You go into the fucking like uh, Proton, change which version of Proton it is to like seven or something, and suddenly the game works perfectly, no issues. Uh, one of the better like Grand Theft Auto style games that. Uh, anyone ever did as far as I'm concerned 
uh, Hong Kong was a really interesting uh, city, atypical of uh, what usually of the kinds of cities that usually end up in the genre. Uh, generally, good controls, good, uh, interesting story, very much inspired by Hong Kong heroic bloodshed movies of the late nineties. Uh, well, I say late nineties, but like eighties to nineties. But yeah. Uh, just generally a, a great little game that uh, I'm sad we didn't get the sequel to. They had like uh, they wrote up a design document that if they achieved even half of what they were attempting, it would have been a fascinating object. <sighs> oh well, uh, but yeah, that's that's a good game and it's extremely cheap right now, uh, so worth worth taking a chance on. Also has one of the funniest. Uh, side quests I've ever seen in a game where uh, a guy asks you to sing badly at karaoke on purpose because he is trying to convince his girlfriend that guys just sing badly at karaoke <laughs> and there are two <laughs> resolutions to that there, there are two resolutions to that quest if you sing really well he gets pissed off at you but she's fine with it if you sing really poorly he gives you some money <laughs> but because of the way the karaoke was set up in that game, uh, they actually, like, the the voice actor's pitch actually follows uh, where you're moving the analog stick, so you can get, like, just the most <laughs> hideous, uh, like, sour notes version of a fucking air supply song you've ever heard, so. Uh, good time. Wow. That's a that's a great little that game. There's there's a good use of auto tuner right there. Nice. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but yeah, great great little game. Always always a big fan of Sleeping Dogs. Uh, glad to have that portably because they won't give it to me on Switch. Uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, I've always been a big fan of that one. Um, but yeah, I think that covers about what. I've been playing. I have nascent plans to play some stuff while I'm on the train in a week and change, but that's not now. That's later. Uh, but those will be RPGs. So, hooray! Uh, yeah. So. I guess that means it's time for us to start checking questions. I don't see anything in the past couple of weeks on comment section, so let's let us go to the let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Okay. So we can hit some of these ones that uh Okay. Can I condense this one down into something a little lighter? Uh, bear with me this anecdote. I knew several Iraq War veterans when I studied in the U.S. On occasion, I asked one of them why the fetishization for quote-unquote operator fashion uh, for a marketing study. The answer boiled down to if you're going to beat or kill someone, at least try to enjoy it and make it look cool. That's nightmarish, but I can see why that's stuck in your head. Uh, in the same way that violence is framed in many character action games like Dante and Bayonetta always look cool even when they're bathing in the blood of their enemies can a character action game afford to not make its character look cool when fighting 
Uh, I think because of the way that we aestheticize violence, I don't actually think with culture, at least in the U.S., being what it is, that it's possible to make someone effective at killing and for us to not culturally consider it cool on some level. Because, like, when I think of characters who are abjectly pathetic but effectively violent, I think of, like, Travis Touchdown. And despite him being made clear to be pathetic in basically most interactions throughout the first two No More Heroes games, he still, like, despite him being a pathetic nerd, he still kind of ends up cool. It's just hard not to. When, when, like, I mean, that's a standard, standard MO for a lot of anime, too. Yeah, like, the aestheticization of violence just ends up being that, like, and especially, like, by virtue of the nature of, like, people who are deemed effective at something impressive, just, like, that's one of the things that people just sort of gravitate to as cool. So I'm not convinced it's really possible to make someone to make a protagonist effective at violence and not get at least a fair portion of the audience saying they thinking they look cool. Uh, it's, it's, it's very, it's very difficult. Um, uh, so I, I, I'm not convinced that it's possible. Uh, what if you make each kill a filthy act or worth a chore like Gears of War Manhunt? I mean, have you met the Manhunt audience? Some, some people still go for it anyway. How well did Mad World and Anarchy Reigns do it? Those ones are... Those have two different, two very different tones. And Mad World's aesthetic is absolutely meant to be cool. Like, the, the extremely stark underground comic black, white, and red aesthetic. That's absolutely meant to be cool. It's meant to be ridiculous, but it's meant to be cool. Anarchy Reigns has many other aesthetic problems. <laughs> Uh, and with Manhunt, would it be more fun to play if it had more creativity in the kills, like Hitman? I mean, you, you run into the issue. You run into the issue that Manhunt's biggest problem is that it's kind of a flat experience as a game. But there are definitely people who, like, I mean, the kills were the point. Like, the the game scored you on them, and like you had multiple ways of killing someone with just about anything and the most brutal ones and were like the reward for being patient and careful while killing people but you know ultimately there's only so much that that's super interesting to watch over and over and over unless you've got i'm going to be uninflammatory and say peculiar tastes uh but yeah the the aestheticization of being effective and of how violence is perceived means that it's basically impossible to not uh, have some un some like feeling that like you, the the character will become cool by virtue of their actions, even if they look like an absolute ridiculous dumbass. Mm -hmm. uh... Is it a coincidence that the enemies in an action game are usually monsters, cyborgs, aliens, etc., more often than humans? Not at all. Uh, imagine it's the having same super reason why the first enemies in Dungeons and Dragons are always goblins or bandits or slave owners. Yeah, like you want it's... something that you can kill. 
Yeah, so, something that you don't have to do a complicated dance to explain why it's morally acceptable to commit violence on these. And also and mm -hmm. also why usually if you're going to be fighting something that's human, you usually end up with something that is under a mask. Uh, yeah. Imagine having superhuman strength and the enemy you cut down are just some hapless goons with a gun. Is there any game that makes you try to feel like a bully by pointing out the gap between the strength of your protagonist and the enemy? It's the closest thing I can think of would be like prototype, but that game is thematically a completely incoherent mess, so I don't think it really does a good job of it. Um, there, there are games that are in that same vein. From the same developer, there was the Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction, where you had a lot of uh, early game fights that were just like, here's a soldier shooting a gun at you, and the power trip is that you're the Incredible Hulk, so it doesn't fucking matter. Uh, but uh, I, I think you see that a lot in games where you're... The, you see that the most in games where you're playing as something huge, uh, where mm -hmm. you get... where you fight humans as a sense of scale. Godzilla. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, is it a recipe for disaster, not unlike the Die Hard sequels, where McLean only looks more and more like a super cop? It's not necessarily a disaster, but you have to be very specific about what your tone... what tone you're going for. Certain kinds of power trips kind of demand that you show the power scale by showing like something that is conventionally strong to like a, the real world that is getting just absolutely flattened. Uh, but you know, uh, uh, it's that, that's a relatively rare scale for action games. Action games generally happen at human scale, and generally they want you to be the David part of David and Goliath. So. Uh, you don't see that super often, but it does happen. Certainly it does happen. Uh, I feel like uh, games that position you as something of a superhero, but uh, an ambiguously heroic superhero tend to, tend to do this a bit. Uh, from around the same time as Prototype, there was Infamous, which uh, you, you were generally fighting human-scale enemies in that. Uh, and and then kind of just generally much stronger than those around you, uh, even when you were fighting other beings with superpowers. Uh, see, I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, but yeah, in, in general, like it, it would be possible to uh, sort of show the inherent danger of power imbalance by doing this, and like, you could, but it, as with most any AAA production, uh, mass market media doesn't want to make you feel bad for consuming it. Uh, I'm gonna so, say this is a bit too avant-garde for the big games. Yeah, and you kind of need big game scale to bring this across, so... It's pretty rare. Uh, there's there's some vague gesturing at it, as mentioned in Infamous, which has a whole bunch of like semi-pretentious but at least well-intentioned uh, loading screen quotes about like the nature of power and that sort of thing. The, the entire like thematic underpinning of the game was meant to be uh, the the notion of uh, you having uh, you know and. A, a truly nightmarish amount of power and what your character does with that and what you how that reflects you the player but uh, in, in general the uh, uh, there, there's not a lot of appetite to 
to go into that, especially because uh, it's it's very easy for it not to send the right message. Because uh, as much as we don't like bullies in real life, people really really like using power when they have it. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's gonna get muddied when the audience gets their hands on it. Um, not just in video games, but also movies, literature, theater, etc. How much extreme violence can you get away with if the person committing the act just feels bad about it? The shoot and cry genre. Won't be just in their case of saying the lie the audience wants to hear. Uh, the, the answer for that one, uh, I'm leaving off the end of this because it's potentially inflammatory. Uh, like, I... I feel I, w I would feel wrong saying something off the cuff without thinking about it so I'm, I'm leaving off the end of that uh, question but uh, I, I think that in general uh, you run into the issue of the sympathetic point of view uh, we as the audience have an unprecedented amount of insight into a character's motivations because they are framed as the protagonist. And so if the protagonist is clearly unhappy and because we as the player have a great deal of insight into their circumstances in just our like viewer, whatever, like reader, well, because you're given a great deal of insight into their circumstances, it makes it very easy for the audience to swallow acts that they would consider questionable in real life because the entire narrative has been framed around them. There's, there's simply... It, it's, very, it's actually very hard to counteract just how much slack that simply being the narrative focus gives some gives a character hello i'm not sure if i could yeah help. yeah okay so right. it's uh very similar to plot armor mm -hmm. but in in sort of a in sort of a narrative uh sympathy sense yeah uh but you you know you see that like with uh just a name like a fairly Famous example, uh, people people had a remarkably undue amount of sympathy for Walter White in Breaking Bad, uh, in part because they thought he was cool, but in part because, you know, as people uh, seeing the weight of decisions uh, come down around him, people were willing to look past uh, what could charitably be described as barbarism. Uh, on his part as early as like episode four. So uh, one of those things that you just sort of like, yep, the, the audience is trained to have sympathy for protagonists. It's, it's, it's really hard to get around. Uh, let's see. That's been the case since, uh, well, even before The Godfather and Scarface, that was true. Oh, yeah, it's as old as time. I mean, yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Fireman brings up. Does anyone think the dude from Postal is cool? Uh, the answer is no, but I don't think that's because Postal was effective. I think that it's because it was ineffective at actually making the game fun. <laughs> uh, 
Um, no, I wanted the boys' game more like the comics. Uh, man, that might be the only time anyone's ever said I want the boys to be more like the comics. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> see, is context the thing that elevates imagery from simply emotional to iconic? For example, do you need context to think that National Lampoon cover with the gun on the dog's head is iconic? I think you kind of, like, iconic is extremely contextual. So, yeah, I'd say it's it's definitely a key point in that uh what is the best black comedy parody of uh, parody work don't quote me on this but i vaguely remember a garthiness comic where comic where someone shot a dog in the same post the aforementioned uh national lampoon cover i can't think of anything off the top of my head we'll have to get back to you on that one uh some kind of our uh, longevity to Garthinus's work, but how many layers of I'm going to skate over this very colorful metaphor? How many layers of uh, of puerile imagery do we need to peel off to see that longevity? I think that the puerile imagery is part of the longevity; it sticks in the mind, uh, mm -hmm. for better or for worse. Yes, like uh, part of longevity is just. Can you keep the audience talking? Is there enough meat on those bones? And for for good and ill, people people talk about most everything Garthinus has ever done. Uh, I don't know who that so, is. I don't know uh, the boys, Punisher, Max, a whole bunch of very very uh, dark uh, hyper violent comics. Okay. Well, I, I watched the boys, but I didn't read the comics. Okay. The comic is very, very, very different. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, Enos is uh, perhaps most at home. Perhaps the one person who is most at home writing Punisher comics, and okay. his portrayal of the Punisher is essentially as a serial killer who has a veneer that he uh, wraps himself in. But, yeah, he's uh, he's an individual specimen. Uh, a lot like Robert Kirkman. He's the, he's the kind of guy who exemplifies the idea that adult-oriented um, material must be as bloody and sexual as possible. Mm -hmm. I would say that Enos at least comes by it honestly. He has actual dark themes that he wants to uh, get into, but it's definitely going to turn away a lot of people. Um, let's see. Uh, four years in, this is, a, this is a easy one for me, although uh, technically we're only three years in. Three years in, do you think your PS5 has made a good cost proposal? Not in the slightest. No. <laughs> I have not turned that thing on since I tried to force myself to play more FF16 like four weeks ago. Um, sucks. It's, it's not... Sucks. The exclusives are... I'm, I'm waiting for that first... I'm waiting for that first good exclusive. Yeah. I, I just I, I had someone point out to me, FF7 Rebirth, in at least one of the trailers, has a, this is exclusive to the PS5 for at least three months. <laughs> so we might see the PC version of that faster than we did FF7 Remake, who knows, but uh, it was, it's one of those things, like, it, they're, like, what does Sony even release this year? They kind of shot the, they kind of, they kind of blew out all they had last year. 
Like it wasn't great either. Uh, like I'm, I'm not a God of War fan, so Ragnarok didn't do Forbidden shit for me. West was this year? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was it was 2022. Was it? Yes. Mm. I'm almost certain it's 2022. No. It wasn't? No. Mm. 2022. Mm. February 2022. Mm. Remember that time, I think it was last summer, where I just canvassed all of the local major mm. um, video game retailers and saw just to see if they had anything with PS5 on the shelves. And yeah. most of them had PS5 oh, stuff sharing shelf space with PS4 because they were all the same games. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to find a list of 2023 PS5 games. Was, was Last of Us Part 1 last year? I can't remember. Yeah, the point of this, this whole rotten exercise is uh, that it's it's absolutely just been kind of a nothing sort of system. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm absolutely dying. Like I'm looking at Sony's own list of things to look forward to in 2023 from the beginning of this year. Big fan of Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, that game that absolutely came out. <laughs> uh, game I've never heard of. Final Fantasy 16, go fuck yourself. Game I've never heard of. A uh, game that they dropped all support for immediately. This year? Uh, yeah, that was. That was very early this year. That game sucked. Uh, yep, Forspoken's on this list. But, like, the, the other big thing is that, like, even the ones of these that I think are good are still on PS4. Yeah. Also, one of the things on this list is Lords of the Fallen. That's not exclusive. Well, none of them, almost none of these are exclusive. That's almost exclusive, none. Although I'm buying it on PS5 just because, like, I don't have room on my Xbox right now. But like, my my bigger point is, who was like, yeah, I'm just gonna buy Lords of the Fallen sight unseen, and apparently it's Wheels. <laughs> it's, but... uh, it's in my wheelhouse. Soul Slayer. But yeah, uh, I still haven't finished Elden Ring. Fallen and it was okay. You what? The original Lords of the Fallen was okay. Oh, are you talking about Forspoken? No, I'm talking about the new no, Lords we're... of the Fallen. Yeah, there's uh, yeah. another Lords of the Fallen called Lords right. of the Fallen. <laughs> right, that's just okay. So I played the original and it was okay. It was, well, yeah, I think they also rushed out that original, so. Yeah, but I don't trust them not to rush this one out either. <laughs> Whatever, gonna give it a try. Also, one of the things on this fucking list that Sony's that Sony's own list is the fucking Horizon VR game. Wow, Maybe eight sucks. people have played that. <laughs> but yeah, like the the things that aren't like we we've still not reached a point where it is practical to make a game that works on PS5 that cannot be made to work on PS4, and so. Almost everything on this list came out on PS4 as well, or is coming out on PS4 in the case of Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 just it's really like that. That's honestly the biggest point at this point is that for three solid years we've been looking at the PS5 as a system where you can get a slightly nicer version of a PS4 game. 
Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's having the Wii U problem, except it's actually a problem. It's uh, it's, it's like what's the of... difference between this and the other one? Not much. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, Spider-Man Two is an exclusive. I'll, I'll give them that. Uh, I'm not. From what I've seen, I'm not convinced that they couldn't have made it work on PS4, but they chose not to, so it's an actual exclusive. Uh, but like, it's it's just as as far as like, if you had a PS4 and that's all you've had for the last three years, you've missed almost nothing. Yeah, it's and this is gonna just continue to be a problem that gets worse because it's just like beyond diminishing returns we have reached a point where it's like impractical to make something that can only work on these like basically anything you can make on a ps5 you can make work on a ps4 if you're willing to make a few more compromises and like we're we're seeing some very high-end AAA games that probably would have too many compromises to be considered the same experience. But, you know, it's it's the very highest-end AAA games. Three years into the system's life cycle. Oh, yeah, did we mention they actually announced the PS5 redesign? I struggle to call it slim. It doesn't look very slim. So the, they're, they're talking about how it's 30% smaller by volume, but if you look at the actual dimensions, that means it's like 10% smaller on each axis. Which is not actually that much smaller in the scheme of things. Hmm? Yeah. Oh. So it's a slim, it's not a pro? Yeah, it's, it's, it is not a range. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I can't think of something more impractical at this stage than a PS5 Pro, but uh, beyond that, like the, the biggest change they're making is the digital version is now $50 more expensive. The uh, disk drive version is the same price. Uh, they're simplifying... like The whole reason to do this seems to be to simplify the manufacturing pipeline because they both have a detachable disk drive. It's just that the version with the disk drive comes with the disk drive pre-installed version without the disk drive you have to pay $80 for the disk drive so it simplifies their manufacturing pipeline they basically just have one pipeline that uh, is assembled slightly differently at the end and then sent out uh, but the the actual disk drive uh, you know the, the nice thing is that if your disk drive does crap out it's much more user replaceable and that's about all that it offers this is realistically like it even looks like the the old one and the old one is i i've complained about this like so many more times than it's merited because it's the, the aesthetics of a console ps5 is one of the ugliest fucking things i've ever seen mm -hmm. like just the worst fucking design they could have come up with and they are absolutely married to that design because the new one looks very very similar i have no idea why i i it looks like a f like someone's idea of a futuristic air purifier in 2004. Um, but yeah. So yeah, uh, unsurprisingly, I don't think there's anyone here who has a PS5 who honestly has nice things to say about it. <laughs> if there weren't exclusive Final Fantasies on it, I would no longer be a PS5 owner. Yep, that, that, that bit worked. That's how I feel about it. 
thing is fucking garbage. Uh, yeah. I'm just glad I can play Disgaea 7 on it, not that I needed to, because it's not exclusive. Um, yeah, but... Fireminer brings up that 10% is still pretty good, and it's like, I mean, kind of, but like, when they introduced a PS2 Slim, it was less than half the size. Kind of, kind of the same thing. Like even the PS3 Slim, like that was a significantly smaller unit than the original PS3. Like this feels like a superfluous redesign because the PS5 was enormous, and 10% smaller than enormous is still, I believe, larger than the original Xbox, which used to be the high water mark for this thing is enormous. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> Well, there's rumors of a Series X refresh that will not have a disk drive, and but it will have a two terabyte hard drive built in. Meh. So I don't know. I'm sure there are. In may not okay. have been substantiated. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there are industrial design reasons as to why it needs to be this huge, but that doesn't mean the like, if you're calling the redesign a slim model it creates expectations based on the other mm -hmm. slim models you've released and yeah. the branding doesn't fit very well um uh, let's I see be devil's advocate for a second and just say i'm not really i'm not entirely happy with ps5 or series x neither system has really exceptional mm. exclusives like i have no fucking interest in regular forza and even forza horizon 5 was like okay i've done this four times already you know um Hello. Hello. but it's also a different marketing strategy they really want you to get that game pass and all of the games are playable on pc which is nice too so there's something to be said for that and starfield was yeah is an important exclusive that may actually sell some consoles but i, I didn't like it that much so I, I don't know it's not for us it's for a lot of people yeah and a lot of people are gonna play mm -hmm. that game like endlessly yeah there's there's gonna be a certain kind of person where that's like the only rpg they play for the next three years yes. um, yeah it's not a big deal for us it's it's a big deal yeah. uh what i what i will say is that like Ultimately, the the issue, all, all of the like other little quibbles that I can come up with, like when I'm when I'm complaining about the exclusive library, my my argument is simply the PS5 is a really bad value proposition. Mm -hmm. It's really fucking expensive. It's never going to go down in price, and for what it can do, that only it can do, it's not adding much to that value proposition. And like the the Xbox has similar issues, but by emphasizing Game Pass, they're at least trying to emphasize that, like, you make the big expensive, like, hardware purchase, and then you have a bunch of games, like, you have a huge library of games that you get for relatively cheap. And, like, yes, that is going to nickel and dime you forever. That's just how that goes. Like, that's this is this, this, uh, the streaming future that we live in, and it sucks. But at the same time, it is still a better value proposition than a handful of exclusives that don't super interest me, most of which have come out on either PC, PS4, or both. Yeah, uh, it's one thing we haven't mentioned here as far as comparing the two as well is that as far as like running older games, you're going to get a lot more benefit running your older games on the Xbox than you would on PS5. Mm -hmm. Game Pass of... Ultimate is a, 
is a much better value than plus premium I'm not, I'm not, considering not even, that not even game but, but not, i'm just talking about like but, if you have an you old can play game. four generations of xbox on series x yes yeah. and they run Native better game. than any old older game you're yes. gonna get on the ps5 like you can play yeah. your ps4 games on there they're gonna play like mostly like identifiably similarly yes Whereas they have built-in advantages to playing your older games on the the Series X. Yeah, it gives it gives it slightly less of a sting. The yeah. like, you don't have any new games because at least your old games are running appreciably differently. Uh, but it's one of those things. Like, it's just the the value the value proposition is it's quite poor at this point, and it's it's one of those things like. It, it continues to sell quite well, not quite PS4 well, but it sells quite well, and I don't fully get why when I just look at it. I'm, I'm sh I don't know what it's selling to people, but... I mean... Hello. Hello. I was going to say, I'm gonna say the marketers didn't know what it's selling to people either. That's the problem. Um, yeah, that's probably at least a little bit, but... Focus yeah. groups... Are only a focus of a certain group and does not always uh, cover yeah. the wider audience that actually cares. <laughs> yep. Thinking of The Simpsons when all the kids were in a focus group and Just Nelson was trying to make it seem want. like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nelson tried to make it seem like Milhouse was gay and it was, I don't know, it was funny. <laughs> Honestly, the one I always like is uh, the episode of Rugrats. Something. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yes. So basically, yes. like Tommy ends up just wandering in to a focus group that is testing out this like robot toy that when you press this rubber ball in the center, it would bounce out. Okay. And mm -hmm. instead of playing with the robot, every, all the kids start playing with just the red bouncy ball. And of course, these are like three or four year olds, so that makes sense to me. <laughs> yes. But uh, I want to hit one of the questions that's in the Discord because it dovetails with uh, the prior question. Uh, you recently talked about why Sony won't stop making consoles, but you haven't talked about why shouldn't they? Given the cost of CPU, GPU, RAM, etc., is only going to go up in the future, while the cost of developing high-fidelity games is not going to go down, does it make sense for a PS5 Pro slash PS6 that can compete with upper mid-end PCs at the time of its release, given that in such a case, Sony will have to have to subsidize even more for the hardware and software? Uh, it's, it's one of those things that, like... I'm glad I'm not the one that has to answer these questions. They're definitely hitting, like, like we kind of touched on this earlier, that we're hitting a point where it's really hard to make games of such a fidelity that they uh, that they can only work on next-gen systems. It's just genuinely impractical. Uh, and you you can see that like internally console manufacturers have these discussions. Uh, that's the, the Xbox man. Is that uh, by the way? It's Phil not Spencer? picking up my uh, computer, is it? Nope, haven't heard a peep. Okay, well, I only uh, ask because I have some extra fans, so it's a little noisier. Yeah, it's it's not coming through. 
but uh, to mention, like, one of the emails that uh, leaked out of Microsoft was Phil Spencer sort of talking uh, fairly candidly about the sort of, like, dangerous place that uh, AAA publishers sort of put themselves in. And, of course, pitching Game Pass is part of their solution to this. But that basically, uh, AAA publishers, like, one of those things that is just an observable market for us is that part of the reason that games got so expensive was to make it harder for other companies to compete. You make games that no one can imitate because the resources required to do so are so uh, taxing that attempting it without those resources produces makes it so that you can't produce anything. Uh you, you you make yourself impossible to compete with by sheer amount of brand recognition uh but yeah and and like budget but you know budget requires that brand recognition and companies winnow themselves down and winnow themselves down until they only have a handful of brands that can actually sustain that amount of money and development time so there's now like a tiny like the AAA publishers are a tiny handful of companies that produce ungodly expensive games in a smaller and smaller slate of franchises and genres because that's what can theoretically sustain this but as uh franchises sort of die off as they become impractical as the audience tires of them blah 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 blah, blah there's nothing to replace them they don't have smaller scale games that they can make that will just uh, scale up to that size and uh Part of Microsoft's pitch for Game Pass is that it makes a like seemingly internally is that it makes it more practical to make smaller scale games because you have this service you can put them on that people don't have to people don't feel as committed to the need for every game that they play on Game Pass to be a huge AAA experience because they got it as part of a subscription it doesn't it, it, hmm? no i was gonna say that, so they're trying to rebuild an ecosystem after years of slash and burn policies yeah like that is their internal pitch for why game pass is a good thing for publishers is that it creates an ecosystem that allows for smaller scale games and w whether you uh believe the solution or not the uh the recognition of the problem is quite sober. Uh... Well, then it's interesting to say that too, because like last year, two of the best Game Pass games I thought were Tunic and Signalis. Mm -hmm. You know, and those got a lot of exposure that they might not have if they weren't available on Game Pass. Which, right. Uh, it's it's a good argument for their for yeah. their argument. And and to be honest, one of the reasons I so. I don't have Game Pass Ultimate. I dropped down to just the core service, which still includes like 30 some odd mm. games, which is nice. But it's like one of the reasons I did that is it wasn't just because of Redfall. It wasn't just because of Starfield. You know, I mean, it wasn't just one game. It was a string of these big AAA games that disappointed the hell out of me. It was Back for Blood. It was Deathloop. Wow. It was these games that were supposed to be amazing and fun. And it's like, this is... This was in development for so long, it was so hyped, and it's like, I don't like it. And then, you know, I end up playing these cheap indie games that are just so much more fun, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Well. <laughs> depends okay. on the indie game, but... Yeah, uh, kind of... Indie gaming has lost a lot of luster in recent years for me. Oh, it's one okay. of those things that, like, it can be disappointing when you start seeing the patterns because of what's practical to make at a small scale, as well as the uh, the obvious points of inspiration that cause people to get into game development. Uh, which is why you would see, like, an infinite uh, rotation of roguelike deck builders and... Uh, Zelda and Metroid uh, style games because those kinds of games tended yeah. to inspire people to get into game development. A lot of the Metroid ones just like people talk about like seemingly every decent looking Metroidvania that comes out like it's incredible and they just find them all middling <laughs> at best <laughs> for the most uh, part. But there's, there's still... The thing about it is that the as 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 that space hopefully continues to grow and hopefully becomes healthier, uh, part part of the key here is just that there needs to be more people making things, like yes, uh, and and so I would anything... say not all of them under like single umbrellas. I mean, obviously, but the the broader point is just more people making things is the way that you get a healthier industry. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm saying that because of a uh, embracer group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but <laughs> I mean that that uh, we that's a that's a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah. Uh, they pump okay. out a Tomb Raider soon. I think I'll be happy with that. Uh, well, I mean, you're getting the one through three anniversary. Yeah, they need money. Yeah, that's, that's coming. I'm actually kind of interested in that simply by virtue of like how much are they going to try to modernize that? <laughs> I mean, they did show it off. Yeah, I know, but I mean, in terms of how it feels. <laughs> That's fine. Can can I get like the most recent trilogy on Switch? Can they do that instead? And uh, I, I mean, they got the second one running on 360. They could probably get it running on Switch. It's just yeah. a matter of impetus. Uh, I know that. Like they have like some sort of partnership with Amazon producing a new one. That's going to be some lumbering mess. Uh, but yeah, uh, let's hit a couple more of these questions in the chat. When it comes to comic books or novels or any long-running series serials, we all know how characters keep being reinvented uh, to the point that the only things that stick are some kind of caricatures. That begs the question of how hard is it for content to be passed down between different artists and how hard is it compared to passing down memes in this case out of context information uh it, it depends upon how rigid audience expectations are um at the height of popularity it actually kind of engenders a rigidity of character that uh, makes it hard to truly reinvent someone uh or like just as like a style of play, a story, that sort of thing, it becomes hard to reinvent someone or reinvent a game or whatever in the process of it being at the height of its popularity because that's when the most direct expectations are placed on it and you kind of end up having to wait for things to cool down and for the audience mm -hmm. to leave and a new audience to potentially come into being to reinvent. So essentially the, mm -hmm. the old, you have to go away before we can miss you. <laughs> what were you going to say, Gaijin? Uh, no, I was just agreeing. Mm. Yep. 
yeah, just, just sort of a you have to go. The things have to go away before people can miss them. Uh, so the longer that something is sort of pushed uh, during the height of its popularity, the more that it becomes difficult to uh, to really reinvent it in a way that adds things to it rather than just emphasizing what's already there. Uh, in other words, are the Simpsons characters becoming characters of themselves a natural course of things, or does it boil down to bad writers? I don't think so. There's tons of talented writers, including the old ones that st come back every so often. It's just... Uh, you I mean, gotta keep... There is a... hmm? I mean, depending on the series, I mean, flanderization is a term for a reason. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it just, especially if a series is going on for a very long time, and if it's something especially if it's live action or voiced you just mm -hmm. there is a tendency to simplify a character to their reactions at some point just to i mean because it become it's the audience is familiar enough that they can use this as a shorthand yeah and, and then you end up with a character who has no personality anymore because you chose the one facet of their personality that, that everyone thought was interesting and got rid of the rest yeah, and, and like you can sort of see how that cycle kinda has to happen. Because you create mm -hmm. you create a character, uh like especially secondary characters, they get made to fulfill a role in the plot. And then uh after they've been made, you you can some you sometimes bring them back and they'll have a few other things that are sort of thrown around with what to do with them because while they're already around it doesn't make sense to keep inventing new utility players so we're going to keep using this character mm -hmm. and then we've we've added some things to them and some of them have some of them got good reactions people liked this aspect of them but other parts like they either people didn't react to them or they don't even really fit with the other thing that people did like so we just sort of we cut that down and then you know, that that creates a sharp character that has, like, very specific things about them that people react to. And it's like, okay, we've got a good utility player. We've been going on for five seasons. The the obvious plots that exist for this character, for the, the main characters have sort of been used up. Let's start looking at our secondary characters. What can we do with them? Okay, well, they only have a handful of traits, so we do those obvious plots. Uh, and those obvious plots sort of winnow down even the the secondary traits that they had because maybe they don't fit for, with this new plot. And, you know, it, it's the natural thing of just, like, it, it's not a lack of talent. It's just the nature of having to have something new every week forever. <laughs> like yeah, it is just by general, the general observation mm -hmm. that American series tend to go on too long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very often. I mean, most, I mean... Half the thing with, um, uh, like, one of the defining features of American comic books is that the the stories never end. Uh, the series never to, end. Go back to the '60s when they had like a built-in understanding that approximate that their audience would be completely replaced in approximately seven years, and they would be free to rerun an old story. <laughs> that was also that was the main emphasis in the '50s. That's why the. Mm -hmm golden age of comics literally re um, would literally repeat stories every 15 months yeah because it's like well anyone who's still around and reading did not it care one bit of, yeah and mm -hmm. didn't care one bit about continuity or canon um and then those but now we've got the issue that everyone were dreadful nerds yeah. <laughs> yep so now we have the issue that the audiences are very aware of continuity and canon and you have series that 
refuse to die because just with it's an it industry to the detriment that never of learned. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's an industry that never learned how to let series die mm-hmm. because partly because it got um, large sections of it got smothered during the fifties and sixties, whereas other countries you actually had a much more what's right here aiming creator driven um, creator driven <laughs> um, landscape for for comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even yeah, it's just. It's very, very rare to see a series last as long in Japan as any of them ever do in America. You get your handful Especially of options with... like Suzai-san, but that's about it. No, I was thinking, I mean, the, the most extreme example here would be One Piece. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only one that's really lasted a co- comparable amount of time at this point. Oh, that no, is still no, under without, the auspices of a single creator, yeah. creator, though. Well, that and One Piece. Don't, don't yeah. talk about One Piece, no. No one piece. Quiet. No. Once it's over, it's still going to be far shorter than like however the hell long, like Spider Man and Batman have been running. Exactly. Um, I mean, part of that's just because most of the American comic book industry is locked into one of two multiverse. I mean, per, um, community universes, mm-hmm. and so anytime you want to make something new, you have to fit it into one of those two universes or. And even if you didn't, event- and even if you didn't, eventually, when you're done, they're going to slot it in anyway. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, like in Japan, if you had something like the Incredible Hulk and you wanted to make a very different take on the character, you could make a completely different series with a that similar. That just happened to be Hulk inspired. That <laughs> just happened to be Hulk inspired. Yeah, and it would probably go in a completely different direction. It would not need connections to everything in the kitchen sink in order to make sense. Yeah. Um, Fire I mean... Fireman has a bunch of stuff in chat. Um, if I, we gotta, yeah, I've been keeping okay. track. Okay. I'm sure it does. Um, but like... Yeah, I mean... the. I guess you can make a, an argument that like Precure is heading that way in Japan just because they reboot every year or two and have completely different but even then it's completely different characters completely different setup it's not always clear if it's the same universe Mm -hmm. but it's yeah but they're all this one little multiversal 20 something series gig at this point Mm -hmm. yeah there's a new one out this season yeah (sighs) no i mean yeah i mean the current one started back in february and still going the Okay, to hit some of these before they disappear out of the chat. Uh, hmm? No, I was, I was going to say, I don't... He was talking about the longevity of the Simpsons and, you know, them being come, becoming character, caricatures of themselves. And I'm like, I don't think the Simpsons is the best or, or most fair example of that because it's 34 seasons. It is the longest-running show ever. Like, they were bound to run out of ideas, which isn't really a defense per se, but... Um, it's it's more an argument yeah. that people yeah. need to let things die. Um, yeah, it yeah. could have ended twenty but, seasons ago, and no one would have really batted an eye. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, um, well, you mentioned Sazai-san. Sazai-san's lasted because it's basically the Japanese equivalent of Blondie. <laughs> Speaking of I things mean, that are terrifying. Seriously, yeah. I, no, I mean seriously. I mean, Blondie. The comic strip started out as a, a social commentary and and women's lib thing. So did Sazai-san. Yeah. It's just that the 
the the times changed faster than the comic strip did, and so now it's kind of that conservative old days comfort food. The good old days for your for the sixty and up crowd. Actually, I th I think the perfect example, uh, excuse me, of something that Americans won't let die. Futurama. Nah, that's a little different. It keeps coming back, but it's being brought back in large part because the people who made it want to keep bringing it back. It's not it's like they keep handing it to different. somebody else and saying, make, make something with this. Yeah. Okay, so to hit something real quick, I will bring up an anecdote that I always love bringing up. I remember going to Universal Studios in Orlando and being terrified by the section of the park that is just weird old newspaper comics that have not been relevant since your grandpa was young. Oh my god, uh, I complained mm -hmm. about that after... Because, <laughs> like, I went there... so weird. And I saw, like, the, like when I say things that have not been relevant since your grandpa was young, I am not joking. I am referencing the fact that I saw a fucking, like, display of Gasoline Alley, something that my grandfather enjoyed when he was a child in the Great Depression. Like, and which was, still, which was still in the newspaper it, within my personal memory. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it Except still I is think now. It was like the third or fourth <laughs> generation of the cast. Yeah. And even I'm... then, Gasoline Alley progresses in time faster than your average Marvel series. It is, uh, I believe that the only surviving member of the original cast is now 110. Yeah, uh, yeah sure. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Disney World can... have something like that too, though, where it's like behind the magic on, on amazing films, and one of them is like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and talks about how <laughs> Nurse Ratchet is a horrible villain and Mm -hmm. Um, something like that, where like old movies that were like, okay, yeah, these were relevant when this park was built, but yeah, you know, but that's like, not like front and center. This is a whole section of oh, yeah. I, there is a whole section I, I've that's never like been here's to <laughs> Universal. Yeah, yeah oh. this is a whole section that's just like here's Gasoline okay. Alley and Hagar the Horrible. Yeah, here's oh, Michael okay. Bailey. It's a whole like what, big display. But what about Garfield? No Garfield. They don't have Garfield. Uh huh. Yeah. No Garfield because they wow. don't have the rights. Because that's... yeah, I think it's like King features that they're working with. Yeah, but uh, uh, I I've seen I've seen the display that you're talking about because uh, one of my uh, uh, FC mates in Final Fantasy XIV actually used to work at Universal. Terrifying. Yeah, he ran. He uh, helped run the Hulk ride. Mm hmm. I'm uh, I'm briefly going to interrupt to say that I just decided to look it up and I'm now looking at the Gasoline Alley from October 10th, 2023. So, yeah, uh, they still make that for some reason, presumably for the comfort of the 80, 80 and up crowd. Um, I actually enjoyed reading Gasoline Alley. When I'm I not even saying it's bad. I'm saying it's super weird because, <laughs> because it was something that my grandfather enjoyed when he was a child and he died in his 90s. Yeah, <laughs> Mm -hmm. Having been there in recent memory, it's like, oh, going through like this 90s inspired Marvel area into that comic strip area. <laughs> like both of those are buff. both of those are dated. One of those is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, no, the Marvel one, I mean, they can do that's it's fine. You can work with that. Just the uh, just that that whole park is such a weird, bizarre waste of IP. Like they have this whole 
not not even just the like, land of misfit IP. Yeah, yes, <laughs> not even just like why do you have this com this comic strip section? They have a whole Jurassic Park section that's just like here's... the first movie Jurassic Park theming. <laughs> <laughs> that, but just like here's a roller coaster with a dinosaur slapped on the front. Here's some other generic ride that's vaguely you know, dinosaur themed. Dinosaur. It's like if they ever the lost the license, they doing? wouldn't. If they ever somehow lost the license, they wouldn't actually have to refit the land that much. No, it would just become dinosaur land. It's like what? <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. Uh, a couple more things that are in this uh, chain. Uh, back to Advent Children. I don't know when we started that, but okay. For such a life-changing mega-hit like FF7, why did Square think that the film's audience would only know the version of Cloud they absorbed from cultural osmosis and marketing? They seriously think that a sequel movie would draw in new audiences instead of fans who had already played through the game and knew how Cloud... Uh, turned out to be. Uh, the answer is that those people, that many of those people had not played it since it was new uh, and that the movie was made primarily to serve fans who already liked it. So while it would be technically possible to assert the original personality that Cloud had, I don't think that it was considered a high priority to do so. <laughs> uh... The other Final Fantasy games. What's that? Why didn't they make a big budget CG films of like any of the other Final Fantasy games? Because none of them were as popular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. hence, hence the ones that do have anime adaptations kind of suck. And there's Final Fantasy V Legend of the Crystals. That's real, real bad. I think um, Final Fantasy V Legend of the Crystals. It's just Final Fantasy The Legend of the Crystals. Yeah, I was being clarifying about what it was related to. It doesn't matter. Um, it sucks. Yeah, it yeah sucks. it's real, real bad. Um, Final Fantasy Unlimited is, it was so bad it got cancelled. Yeah, it's not even It's not even based on anything in specific. It's a very generic show. Yeah, very generic. Uh, Although but, the summons were cool. That's all I'll say about it, but it was not good. But yeah, like it's one of those things that like you you spend the money on the mega hit. Um, but and a yeah, lot of people don't like Advent Children. Yeah, it's one of those things that I feel like people have mostly. If you if you just want a dumb action movie, here's a dumb action movie. It's a dumb action movie. Now I'm thinking but, of a. Uh... King's Clive, of course. I, I forgot about that one. Yeah, I've I've still never actually watched it. I don't think that it actually cousins, adds much. Yeah, it does. <laughs> my cousins watch. It's, it's pretty good. It's neat. Right. But it. One of my cousins watched King's Clive, and he's he's like he's like, yeah, I didn't get it, and I was like, well, that's because it shows the events that happen off camera concurrently with the beginning of Final Fantasy Fifteen, the game. Hmm. And he was like, oh, so. <laughs> It was it was very it was essentially like if they had released Final Fantasy VII Last Order before the actual Final Fantasy VII, like it exists to show you things you don't see in the game or that you only see bits of in the game. Here's here's that. Yeah. Is it supposed to work as a standalone work? Not really. <laughs> it's basically it's basically a long promotional stunt. But. Uh, I yeah. guess the answer is they'll have a decent movie when they actually want to make a movie. Yeah, in, in general, like there's—I mean, we've we've seen what happened when they wanted to actually make a movie, and it nearly it 
severely damage the health of the company, so they probably won't be doing that again. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just... <sighs> It's it's one of those things that like the 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 objectives of these films are not to stand as works unto themselves. They exist to they're they're promotional. They are they are promotional objects. Uh, FF Seven Advent Children was released as part of the when they were really hitting the compilation of FF Seven. So the existence of this big impressive CG movie drew attention to this PS2 game and this PSP game and this other anime and these other like five other things that they were uh, promoting that were F- and, and before Crisis. Of one good PSP game and a bunch of other shit. <laughs> Final Fantasy Seven Dirge of Cerberus is bad, but in a way that's extremely funny. Uh, not the least of which. I remember enjoying it that many years ago, but it was I'm not very good at that kind of game either. The thing that's really funny about it is when you get to like some of the plot scenes that are insane. Uh, My personal favorite of which is at the end of the first level, you see like Reeve, the guy who controls like Ketchy in uh, mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, yes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, In uh, the guy who controls Ketchy in FF7, he fucking, like, you see him get shot. And it's like, oh no, he died. And then it's like, no, it turns out that he was controlling, like, that wasn't actually him. It was a robot robot duplicate of him being controlled by the robot cat that he is also controlling. (laughs) That was Yeah, that's... So Dirge of Cerberus Inception. is insane, Inception and I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's not good, but I love it. Um, I, I, yeah, see, I, like, I enjoy the game. It is not a great game, but I do enjoy it for just some of the sheer odd wildness. Yeah, and, and 7 Remake actually does have stuff in it that it seems like it comes out of nowhere, unless you're already aware of Dirge of Cerberus' plot, in which case it's like, oh, this is tying in and setting that up. Like Just, another one, another one of those wild things in Dirge's servers is you're you're of course Vincent Valentine and you're shooting a bunch of those panther dog-like monsters using a mini gun that is attached to the top of a truck. Mm-hmm. As like, was the style at the time. As was the style at the time, but you know that's probably not something Vincent would actually do. Mm-hmm. We never saw him with access to a minigun before, though, so who can say? But Poochie needs to be louder, angrier, and have access to a time machine. Um, but, yeah. He died so. on his way back to his home planet. Get to the fireworks factory. I have signed a sworn affidavit. I have here a sworn affidavit that Poochie will never reappear again. <laughs> I have to go. My home planet needs me. So much mileage out of one fucking episode. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, so I'm going to hit a couple more of these questions in Discord, and then we'll hit... What hmm? is Saint Seiya, and why is it getting a sequel? Uh, Saint Seiya is an evergreen shonen action franchise in Japan. Shonen action, you say? It's one of those that gets... Re- it's one of those that gets brought back or re- rebooted or just remastered every five to ten years. 
Yeah. Also, we also, the problem uh, that you're going to run into is that uh, it has not been translated into English with any degree of consistency. It's huge in places like Latin America. No real penetration in the U.S. Okay, never mind. Then. Some some of the biggest fans of the series I know of outside of Japan are all in Italy. Yeah, yeah, so. big, big in Italy. Uh, yeah. Oh man, now I'm remembering I, my personal favorite. Oh god. I, I still think the the wildest thing I have ever heard from anime fandom is from Portugal. Mm -hmm. They they took Keijo and actually made it a real sport for for like That just sounds like people being horny. Um No, they made it an actual like whole real sport bottom to up and it didn't last very long because they didn't realize how bloody expensive it would be to do it, but they did Good luck ensuring this. But uh yeah, but it's my with actual... Portugal. Mm -hmm. My actual, my personal favorite of these is the uh, sheer amount of uh, fandom that exists for uh, Tadao Nagahama and Yoshiyuki Tomino's Voltes Five in Philippines. Uh, I believe recently there was the conclusion of a live-action Voltes Five remake in the Philippines. Huh. Uh, but it's it was very very uh, big there uh, to the point where it was its last few episodes were uh, forcibly suppressed by the government <laughs> back when they initially were supposed to air. Uh, mostly Why? because they involve uh, mostly because they involve violent revolution against an oppressive ruling class. Hmm. <laughs> uh, a little too close to yeah. home. At the time, yeah, the the, the the then Philippines dictators felt this was a little too close to home, didn't like it, didn't want it airing. Uh, but yeah, so Voltes V has a, has a strong Filipino fandom. And yeah, just recently there was a uh, live-action remake, Voltes V Legacy, that uh, ran for, oh sweet lord, 90 episodes. Oh, that's like twice as many as the animated show. Uh, but yeah, uh, that that just concluded. Which uh, it, just just a very strange thing to have happened. But one of those things that's fascinating in its way. Uh, I don't know how uh, big French and Saudi Arabia anime fandom is. The new Grandizer game is made specifically for them. Well, I mean, one of the things that uh, is worth noting about the Grandizer game is that. No, the, no Japanese company would specifically set out to make a Grandizer game, even ones that were shooting for nostalgia, uh, because Grandizer is the least popular Mazinger in Japan. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Is that the one with the weird? Or is that one of the random one? On I remember there was one of the Super Robot Wars games that had the most improbable cast list. Was that one of the games on that, or one of the series on that? Uh, no, Grandi Grandizer used to show up a lot. Also, I think you're thinking of Mazen Kaiser Skull, uh, oh, but you might be thinking uh, of something yeah. else. But, uh, yeah, so the thing about Grandizer... Guy King is the one I'm thinking of. Oh, Guy King, yeah, that, that one has a whole that, that has a whole other thing going on with it. Um, but the, the thing about Grandizer is some, some Mazinger happens... Oh, yeah, this guy, okay. So Mazinger happens, it's a, it's, it's, it's huge, it, it helps, uh... It's it's one of the big things that Gona Guy makes that makes him like essentially forever royalty among mecha fandom. Uh, yeah, great Mazinger. <laughs> no, he didn't make that. Um, but 
Uh, he makes great Mazinger. That's that's a beloved sequel. Oh, and then Mazen Kaiser is like thirty years later. Um, moving to to get through this quickly, uh, Grandizer gets made. It's reasonably popular, but it, it sidelines both of the protagonists from Mazinger and Great Mazinger. It, it never goes. It, it never becomes as popular in Japan as the other two. And you can tell that that's the case because Mazen Kaiser generally is incompatible with it. When they decided to go for a nostalgia grab to bring Mazen Kaiser uh, out in the early aughts, they just, it was all just characters from Mazinger and Great Mazinger. Like it was incompatible with Grandizer. But in like France and Saudi and like various parts of the Middle East, the, uh, Grandizer was localized first, often alone. They might do Mazinger and Great Mazinger afterwards when Grandizer was successful. It was likely cheaper to license because it hadn't done as well. Uh, but essentially, because of that, in those places, great uh, like Grandizer, when there's no specific attachment to the prior ones, like it's still a perfectly fine show. Those those places got that first, love it most, and want and want it to come back. And so you get uh, a French company, Microids, licensing Grandizer in specific. Um, oh wow, it's actually been in a lot of Super Robot Wars. Yeah, it used to be in most of them because there wasn't anything. Because like, if you were going to have Mazinger and Great Mazinger, you might as well have Grandizer. But you'll note that once Mazenkaiser comes out, it slowly disappears from the series list and i don't think it's been in there in at least 15 years yeah the last one it was in was 64. i'm almost certain there's at least one ps2 game like impact or mx that it's in as well but that was like kind of its last hurrah yeah, okay. Uh, okay it wasn't M it wasn't mx also impact but uh... yeah so what i thought uh impact is a remake of three wonder swan color games but uh which is why yeah. it's in those yeah yeah, uh, but yeah, like after after Mazen Kaiser comes out, and like there's a full anime with a story for it, like Grandizer just sort of disappears from the series list and basically never comes back. Uh, yeah, and it was never in any of the really big. It wasn't in the Alpha series. It wasn't in the Z series, which are some of the more beloved. The big continuities. Series. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, well, it, I think it might be in like Z. one of the Alpha it wasn't games. The first Z, but they didn't bring it back for the second or third Z. Yeah, second, second Z actually switches to Shin Mazinger. Yeah, and well, and the Zs brought a lot of people back for some of the later ones from the earlier ones, even if their stories mm. weren't really continued. So that tells you something. Yeah, it fully just sort of disappears from the series list because, like. The, the nostalgia bait for Mazinger is Koji and Tetsuya. It's not Duke Fleet. Uh, but, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, we're going to hit one or two more from the uh, list in the uh, Discord, and then one or two from the big list, and then we'll probably call it quits. Uh, uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, at the end of the day, I feel like game, gamers just want one single console with as much variety of games as possible, like the Super Nintendo, PS1, and PS2 were. We talked about how the Switch brought back low-cost game development, but why? Is it because physical properties make it the perfect vessel for that kind of game? What do we know about whether Nintendo has any program to support small developers? 
does this matter given a lot of these small games at least those worth tries on everything under the sun these days so one of the things that like i can't say how well they support small developers other than the switch as switch development uh licenses slash kits are exceptionally cheap it was known when they uh first came out that it was sub one thousand dollars which is a very low barrier to entry as far as these things go and the other thing is that the existence of things like indie world showcases that are just hey here's a bunch of indie games coming out on this system is probably more marketing than most of them could ever afford by themselves so the very notion of potentially being picked up for that does create a one it creates in the audience an expectation of these are valid games you should care about too here's nintendo telling you you should care about this indie game you've never heard of before and for the indie developer it's like there is a chance that like nintendo's marketing could put this in front of eyes that would never ever see it in any other capacity and those two things like we, we've seen like Microsoft now does the occasional ID at Xbox, and uh, Sony will occasionally uh, will fill out state of plays with these. We've seen that these have an effective impact because, like, when the console maker throws their weight behind something, it's worth so much more than when it gets thrown onto an, a crowded storefront and sent to die because there's like no way to get the word out because you do not have excuse me the marketing resources to get it in front of enough eyes so or you just don't know who who or how to reach out to the pr appropriate people like we we as rp gamer actually do have a way for indie developers to reach out to us and um on our website mm -hmm. and a lot of people and we get occasionally the question on our discord about it but there's a lot of people who do not understand or don't know what exactly because that's what like a marketer does they find the people to connect your game to its potential audience and a lot of people who are indie devs are having to do that job themselves and that's there's a reason it's an entire discipline but uh what i was gonna say about it was that uh i, I think that to to speak to the switch as an object its nature as a smaller system that you know is something that you can just sort of carry around means that people have a different set of expectations for games on the switch than they do on uh ps5 or xbox because it's one of those situations where it's like well it's portable. i i carry it around i don't expect every game to be cutting edge it just needs to be something that i can enjoy for a while and so, so you end up with a different system in place yeah, you you get you get a market that is more attuned to the notion of that this is a smaller title and that's okay. Uh, and so there's there's a confluence of factors that uh, have have made the switch a relatively good home for indies. Not 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 always a perfect one, but rarely a worse one than those around it at the very least. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm going to we'll save the we'll uh, we will we'll try to get the rest of these questions on the Discord done before uh, next week before we uh, we break for a couple of weeks. Let me quickly hit the questions doc and pull something up. 
uh, so that we are continuing our long fight against the notion of failing to uh, see. Uh, I'm going to ask, do you have any idea how much foot traffic your site gets? Uh, none. Not above my... <laughs> I get it. But yeah, uh, above my pay grade to know. Uh, uh, I, I, can I can probably ask Pauls and find out. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Actually, okay, it's let's... probably available on the, on, on the site somewhere. I just don't yeah, know. Yeah, probably. But for, for now, we'll work. Just, we don't know where to look for it. Yeah, we'll worry about it later. It's not. It's one of those things I don't think too much about. Uh, what do you think about the idea of using low polygon models not just to save cost, but as an artistic choice as well? Uh, I think that there's actually a lot to be said. Uh, like this, I figured we'd pull this since it's indie game related, mm -hmm. since that's where you would see this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's something to be said for it uh, because of the kind of discipline it enforces in character design. Uh, yeah. Lower poly models uh, end up enforcing stronger silhouettes. Uh, As with many things, a lot of it depends on can you do it well. Yeah, but I do think that I do think that there's a pleasingness to simpler designs that uh, and that those simpler designs can be in some in some degree enforced by having a smaller polygon budget that can't get away with mm -hmm. uh, all of the the little uh, touches that you would think of. You just need something big, strong, bold, uh, simple. So I, I think that there's, there's artistic merit. I also have long appreciated like low poly environments with simple or even no texturing that produced extremely dreamlike landscapes so maybe i'm just weird <laughs> no i mean when, when it's done really well it's you can do some really interesting things with minimalist approaches it's just mm -hmm. i think it's an underutilized it's a lot of developers mm -hmm. yeah valheim I, it didn't bother me that it looked like an N64 game. It bothered me that it performed like an N64 game, or at least on the hardware. But, um, right played on. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we've we've met our questions for tonight, uh, and I need to hear about where I can get uh, my my Princess dose and pizza. Oh. Yeah, I was gonna say my dose of tabletop games and pizza. Oh, I have one thing <laughs> to bring up because I forgot forgot to talk God about it. it during what I'm <laughs> playing. Okay. Okay. Uh, just the Borderlands Three Switch port. Uh, we talked about it on um, during my shenanigans. Shenanigans, uh, but we didn't talk about it here. Just mentioning that. You're wondering how well that works on Switch. The answer is uh, absurdly well, shockingly. Like as long as you don't mind it only being two-player. Yes, and looking a little uglier, but those games always look ugly. Yeah, they're resolution. They're, they're hideous. They are yes. hideous. It's un, it's inescapable. Yes. Uh, but other than that, it runs at a higher frame rate than uh, the Borderlands, the other Borderlands collection on Switch. Terrifying. Yes. Okay. They learned That's their well, Okay, think, so tell me. Well, no. Those were specifically locked in at 30. 
And also, I think those are those are added like an older version of the Unreal Engine, so I think they're kind of best here. But that's it. That's enough about Borderlands. Okay. Uh, okay. So, tell me where I can get a nice slice of pizza and some uh, tabletop shenanigans. <laughs> okay. Uh, need to loosen up here. So yes, so Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Um, If you are a fan of tabletop games, a fan of watching other people play tabletop games, because, you know, this is a thing, Um, and if you don't mind all this in narrative format, either ebook or dead tree... You might even find you appreciate the narrative. (laughs) Yeah, really. Um, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U. Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Um, currently, twelve episodes, three side stories, one paralogue. Uh, working on a fourth side story so I can finish out the um, fifth paperback volume. Nice. Yep. Which are uh, still very cheap for one, two, for one, three, and four. Is that correct? <laughs> um, I haven't checked recently, but let's see. Um. Oh, who knows? Let's see what we got here. Um, and then, then, okay. Let's see, currently, yeah. Currently at like 40% off for the first book. Amazon's but, bizarre machinations. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. There we go. Okay. Thanks they won't break the bank even if you get the ebooks though. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean yes, I, I have checked and the. I mean, it's not like I. I mean, I do get like the full royalties mm-hmm. um, that I would normally get no matter what. Yeah. So let's see. Third book is currently at sixty-eight percent off. Sweet Jesus. Yes, I really do not know what's going on I don't, on I don't here. understand what algorithm is generating this Amazon. <laughs> yep. I mean... I, I mean, by a price, I usually try to keep it so that at least um, buying the in, the individual ebooks within a collection will be cheaper. <laughs> but... And Amazon keeps trying to undercut yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, and... Like right now, for for the paralogue, the paperback copy is two and a half dollars cheaper than the Kindle copy. Absolutely bizarre. But I mean, if you oh if no, you no, mind, no, mind. no, never mind. The Kindle price is four fifteen. Oh, okay, down. okay, okay. Where was the? No, no, the paperback's four fifteen. What in the world? <laughs> if you love your physical media and just want to see the world burn. <laughs> Uh, the, the, those options are available to you as well. Mm-hmm. So again, yes. Yeah, so uh, to repeat the title one more time, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U. I would name off the individual episodes, but that would take all evening. So, good night. Uh, they've got fun titles, though, so uh, go give those a look, even if you aren't reading. Although you should read. Uh, it's reading is good. It's fundamental. Okay. Um, Tam, tell us what the RP Gamer stream schedule is looking like, especially now that you have your new computer. Uh, 
Yes. <laughs> Although that's uh, bringing some other fun stuff. It brings its own problems. On the back side of our streaming, but I should hopefully be uh, do I'll probably be doing some test streams this weekend, making sure Excellent. everything's working. Uh, and then I will be back uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, for uh, my regularly scheduled streaming. Um, un unfortunately, we still uh, pause is still out due to injury, mm -hmm. but um, we oh. are actually gearing up for extra life that is coming up here soon. Yeah. So um, the uh, for day for the uh, weekend of November. Oh, that's not how I get to the camp. Oh. Sorry, I, I have Windows 11 now, so I'm be like to November 4th, I think. Yeah, sorry, I'm trying to pull up a, the calendar, and unfortunately, as I said... I'm, yeah, the calendar's I'm super tiny in Windows 11, it sucks. <laughs> okay, no, actually, it's bald. I have a new monitor to go with the computer, so... Oh, that yes. helps. Uh, the weekend of November uh, 4th, we will be starting very early on Friday. Uh, Paul is hoping to be back to start streaming then. And she will, uh, and uh, she is going to be kicking it off. We are going through um, pretty much all the way into Monday because uh, I am going to pick up. Uh, we ha we're scheduled till midnight Eastern time on the fifth, but uh, I am pulling the daylight saving shift again this year, so <laughs> I will probably be up and just uh, pick up whoever ends and just continue on until either I crash or until Paul starts at eight a.m. Monday morning, if she's still if she's up for doing more streaming after the weekend. So, um, but the whole the whole team's involved. We have a couple of staff members involved. We're going. We've got a group Among Us planned. Oh no! Yeah. Um, unfortunately, um, unfortunately, we don't have Chris this year. So, so Chris is out uh, uh, away. So he is not going to be the. Uh, constantly being killed um for those who caught us two years ago there was a great uh incident of him yelling so loud in frustration from dying that we heard it through pause's mic <laughs> beautiful by the way nice. i was the one who initiated that kill that that year nice. so you're a monster got it um yeah, i was a, I, I i was sus mm. it was a great kill too i will take your word so, so, so that is uh, the big thing that's coming up. Otherwise, uh, our normal, you know, schedule uh, right now. Um, and again, uh, should hopefully be back to stream, uh, to, to be streaming my normal time next weekend or next week. But I will be trying to do some stuff this weekend just to make sure I can get all the kinks out. Mm -hmm. So hey, uh, keep an eye out for those uh, test streams. Maybe there'll be something worth seeing. <laughs> but, uh. Yeah. So, and yeah, there's there's always uh, it's always fun to be had on the uh, RP Gamers uh, Twitch streams when you can manage to catch them. And there's also the archives, which are also good uh, good fun. But uh, speaking of streams, Joe, one more plug for the road. One more plug before I go to sleep. Um, yes, Twitch.tv/smokeandjoegamer, and all streams or the good streams get. Archived <laughs> over to YouTube. So the RE2 um, streams getting archived. <laughs> yeah, those went. Those actually went well. So the the internet's been staying on and the computer's been staying on. So yeah, the streams have been mm. pretty good lately. I had a good time for the one I was able to catch. 
Yes, uh, you did jump in, and uh, we did chat, and that was nice. So, um, pretty much the same rules as the Discord uh, Wheels server. If you see me in my Twitch commentary channel, you're welcome to jump in and and talk. Um, mm -hmm. So I tend to do my streams uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. I say I'm going to start at eight. Sometimes it ends up being nine or nine thirty. Uh, really depends <laughs> on when I eat dinner and feel like playing something so uh but it is going to be hallow stream for the rest of the month so more resident evil games planned more horror games spooky games Spooktoberfest. so then next month i think i want to do neo geo november i think that could be fun please just um, play the opening to nom 1975 on loop Okay. I, I think we need to change the name, though. It's a Neo Jember. Mm. Go for it. Uh, I, I mostly bring up the intro to Nom 1975 because it has a guy just sort of hauntedly shouting, Do I have to go back to the hell again? <laughs> it's incredible. I'm uh, not doing Engage November. Well, then you could play Xanadu next. Huh? Huh? Well, last year I did Nintendo November, and you I just do thought I don't want to engage November and just play Fire Emblem Engage on, on November. <laughs> and get... <laughs> okay, moving on. Engage. <laughs> engage. engage. Uh, play the the Port of Splinter Cell Chaos theory to the engage. Why? 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 <laughs> Why? It runs at, it Why? runs at like eight frames a second. I think it might kill him. Is it like three D? Is it yes. like the actual game? It's it, well, it's trying. It was later ported to the, the Engage version. Was later ported to the original DS. It runs a little better on the original DS. It still doesn't run well at all. Um, I mean, a little better is still better. That has a shockingly good three DS port, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Other than I believe it's functions. Yeah. I believe it's technically like based on the PS2 port, but yeah. Uh, I was going to say something about it. But yeah, uh, so yeah, give those a look. Check out the archives on the similarly named YouTube channel for Smoking Joe Gamer. And uh, also, hope you get well soon from the, uh, <laughs> from the vaccination. <laughs> Uh, as for I sleep tonight, I should be fine. So mm. I'm not worried. Yeah, it should God pass quick. But yeah, so that leaves just me and Wheels. We stream this very podcast at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern on Thursdays. We will be skipping uh, the one two weeks from now. What would the actual day be? 26th and November 3rd. Yeah, third sounds right. We'll be skipping those uh, weeks, uh, maybe second. I can't remember. Uh, we'll be skipping those weeks because I'll be on vacation. We will be uh, falling in a bottomless well of Spider-Man's. Um, yes, I may stream Spider-Man. I may mm -hmm. not. It uh, it would not be guaranteed to be yeah. at the same time. Just warning <laughs> anyone that if I am streaming Spider-Man, I'm just going to be playing it. And listen to dialogue. I'm not going to respond to any. Not going to look comments. at the chat. Not going to. Not going to talk to anyone. No. It's just an excuse to be playing Spider-Man. Exactly. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you think. Uh, but yeah, so you know, the, normally we stream episodes of Q and A Quest at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern on Thursdays, uh, and episodes of Shenanigans at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern on Sundays. 
Uh, again, both those will be taking a two-week hiatus uh, at the end of October, beginning of November. Uh, but you can ask uh, us questions. I think we're actually <laughs> still going to do shenanigans by your way. We're just going to play shit. Oh, you're going to do both? Board with. Yeah. Okay. We're going to do probably nice. like Saints Row and... Uh, I mean, I'm going to be bored with that. Crown, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you do owe Joe some Dragon's Crown. Uh, but I think we, might, we might do some Saints Row as well. <laughs> nice, I need to pick that up. Uh, try and go find well, the Keyblade in there. It, um, we have to play Saints Row with the Steamboat oh, of course, the entire nice, time. Nice, really. <laughs> <laughs> try, try to go find the Keyblade in there. Um, Wait, what? There's a, there's a Keyblade in the Saints Row reboot. It was, according to a former Volition dev I was listening to talk about it, it was put in by a Kingdom Hearts super fans. That's hilarious. Uh, but, yeah, so... Uh, yeah. Uh, fucking... Uh, yeah, so, so shenanigans will still be proceeding as usual, 9pm Pacific, midnight Eastern. Uh, but no, no Q and A quest for the following two for for those two weeks unless Wheels gets ambitious with a side quest or something. Probably but uh, uh, yeah, we're playing this Sunday. Do you guys have Luigi's Mansion Three? I do. I need to find it, but I yeah, should have it. Let's do that. Damn you, Gooigi! Um, pay extra money for the multiplayer, though. No, you do not. No, there's there's no paid DLC for that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so. Luigi Mansion. Uh, if you manage to somehow catch that, uh, we'll we'll be happy about that. But this Sunday will be the last one I'm on for a couple weeks. Uh, but yeah. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can ask us questions. If you catch us while we're streaming, you can ask them in the uh, stream chat, like dear friend Fireminer. You can at wheels on like Mastodon or Blue Sky or whatever. Uh, if you really, really have no, if you if you're making poor choices in life, you can also at me on Mastodon or Blue Sky. Uh, we are respectively Ask Wheels and Fanboy Master. It's not hard to find us. Uh, also, you can threads. Hmm? I probably won't reply to anything on there. That's mostly just to post announcements. But you should follow us there because I will usually post when we're going live there. I didn't today. Yeah, we were late, but normally that's. <laughs> normally I do things. Yes, normally I post on all, all social media. Yeah. So that um that's the thing that I was going to say. Um you can also ask us questions in the Discord. You can act, get access to the RP Gamer Discord by going to uh, rpgamer.com and clicking the community community tab. You can find an invite there. Uh, that's a lovely place to chat, even if you don't want to ask us questions. But if you do want to ask us questions, go to the podcast section of the Discord and ask questions like dear friend Fireminer did. Uh, otherwise, you can also ask us questions in the comments section under this very episode. Not a lot of people do that these days, but we're always happy to see it when it does happen. Uh, but otherwise, I think that wraps us up. So see you, Space Cowboys. See you.